Hello, everybody. Welcome to Art Tells a Story. Let it tell yours. Uh, my name is Matt Swift. I'm a local filmmaker, educator, curator, uh, and mostly I'm here representing uh, one of the things I do, which is I'm the co-founder of the Columbus Moving Image Art Review, the longest running Central Ohio showcase of um, locally free to submit and free to attend screenings of films, you know, documentaries, animations, etc. Uh, we do it four times a year. Uh, the next call for submissions is actually coming up very soon, and we'll have a show in October, so we'll talk more about that later. Today, um, I want to give a shout-out to the Reese brothers, Michael and Jim, for putting on this show. Uh, we've had a great series of shows so far with um, you know, the, Ohio Art League, uh, the Ohio Art Council, the Greater Columbus Arts Council, Wild Goose Creative, Hammond Harkins, uh, you name it, No Sheep. Oh, my gosh, there's so many... Uh, organizations have participated in this show so far, and I'm just happy that I have a chance to come on and and be able to talk with some film artists and today. So uh, we also want to thank you know Nicolette Cinegraphics and Nikki Swift. She's the one behind the scenes making this whole show happen for us. Um, today I'll be talking with uh, C.G. Ryan, who's a Columbus video performance and new media artist uh, who has been participating for many years now in uh, the Columbus Moving Image Art Review. Uh, and one of the biggest things is she's uh, just finished her MFA from the Columbus College of Art and Design uh, with her new thesis project, Intangible Windows. Hey, CG, how you doing? Hi, Matt. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So I just started out like we've known each other for a few years now. And I want to start out with a good question here is I I have a really bad memory. Most people don't know, like if Four years ago, I had a bad scooter accident with a traumatic brain injury. And so my short term's mm -hmm. a little fuzzy, especially over the last three or four years. And so did you submit to Columbus Moving Image Art Review first, or did we go to Alliance Ohio together for that film festival run by Crystal Showforth? Ah, uh, well, you know I have. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, it was actually through the Columbus Moving Image Art Review. Um, I had just started doing um, video art. I think I actually hadn't started CCAD's master's program yet. And um, I was so excited to be able to find a venue um, for what was, uh, for me at that time, a new art form, which was making my uh, collages move. And um, I was really excited about, you know, I'd heard about it on Facebook actually and entered and was really thrilled to be accepted. And um, I remember meeting you and Nikki and, um, and we really hit it off. And then I'm not exactly sure who told who about the film festival that we entered um, up in Alliance. Um, and probably the, one of the wonderful things about that film festival is I got to travel for um, two and a half hours both way with you and Nikki. And you really get to know someone when you're running late to a film festival. And then on the way back, you're, you know, it, going on all these country roads and stuff like that. And it was just a great opportunity to get to know um, both of you. So. Yeah. The, the block, the, the cogs are now clicking into place. <laughs> I remember this. The, yeah. There was a film festival, and I think we both kind of had found it at the same time, mm -hmm. and we're like sharing it with each other or something on Facebook. Yeah, we had both we had all submitted things, uh, and then you were like, "Hey, we were like, hey, this is a long drive," and we just started a conversation about maybe we should go together, right? And then right. you know, to right. save on the gas money and and just have a chance to talk. Well, okay, cool, yeah, all right, let's let's make that happen. So, and that was it was right before. It was why you were still talking about trying to apply to CCAD and you think you were good. You thought you were going, you, I think you had applied. Uh, yes, and so we had yes. a lot of conversation around that. So that's yeah. good. I, yeah. I could have looked that up, but I couldn't remember. <laughs> way more fun talking about it. And it was actually a really interesting time because um, I had done my first augmented reality exhibit at Blockfort and um, that was right um, after that. And um, I was invited by um, Natalie Sanchez to be in that show. And um, 
it was, it was really great trying, you know, experimenting with a new medium and, um, and then, you know, working with, you know, projection and just starting with performance. Um, it was really awesome to meet the two of you and just talk about all the different ways to show moving image art. So. Yep. I remember because you had talked about the show and we knew the show cause we know the people at block for it as well. And we went and we saw the show um, that was, it was using a lot of HP reveal stuff at that time. We can talk mm-hmm. about the tech stuff here in a little bit. So okay. um, it's really cool uh, that that show happened. Uh, block four is a great play. They're one of the ven- few venues in, in Columbus that lets you do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Vander rally room, uh, AJ will let you do some stuff over there too. It is, it can be difficult to find uh, what we call like white box spaces, mm-hmm. uh, galleries that will let you kind of take over their space and install a bunch of stuff and put a bunch of stuff into walls and all mm-hmm. that. So, you know, um, it's great that they're, they're able to let you do that. So let's kind of backtrack, backtrack a little bit. So okay. You know, you have a you have a long career of doing doing creative things. Um, mm-hmm. But so, what you know? Can you give us a little background? You know, how did you get started? You know, being an artist. Like, how did this how did this all come about for you? Well, it's it's um it, it was actually funny. Um, you know, I I you know, thank you for sending me the questions in advance because it really helped me think. And and being asked about how did you become an artist, it's kind of like one of those questions where um, the answer will be different depending on you know where you are, you know, in your creative life. Um, and uh, for me, I can't. It's funny. I've actually sometimes been challenged by the term artist because it has uh, so much cultural um, baggage with it. And um, I actually prefer the term creator um, because I think that's a little bit more expansive and open. Um, so I, I've been really interested in you know, trying to capture reality and um, in different types of forms with drawings, you know, with photography, um, pretty much, you know, photography, um, pretty much I lived in the darkroom, um, in high school. Um, it was a great way to handle high school years being in the darkroom and creating. And, um, I loved, uh, the fact with photography that you could capture a bit of reality that seemed objective, but it was really subjective because you were choosing the frame. And, uh, from there, I, uh, I had a, I grew up uh, in a fairly underprivileged family in Los Angeles and we lived in affluent area, but we ourselves um, didn't have a lot. And so I was raised with um, having a great deal of significance placed on earning a living. And so I was really challenged with, you know, I, I love doing art. Um, you know, I got a lot of positive input for it, but I was really afraid to commit to the fine arts. So I ended up um, going to school and getting a degree in uh, design, um, which I absolutely loved. And um, that's actually what brought me to Ohio from Los Angeles. I graduated from the Art Center um, College of Design Pasadena and got hired by a firm out here in Columbus. Um, And then after some years, um, I just, it was almost like, I felt like I'd been walking through a desert for years and I didn't realize what the toll was having on me with not being able to um, to create my own projects and to re- really try to embody my sort of inner visions in an external way. So I started doing art again um, and uh, just was trying to figure out what exact art form was really going to be what what matched most what I wanted to communicate. And I've realized for a long time, I've, very, I've been very, very interested in uh, inner worlds and how people create their own realities and how different people have different worldviews. And um, I've really been interested in trying to visualize thought. And so I started out uh, doing mixed media collage painting. And I loved it because when I really thought about it, having little fragments and pieces of reality and then moving it into an abstraction of paint and texture, it really most closely captured what I thought was um, how I put together pictures of the world, which is um, by creating collage in my head. And um, 
And I loved also sharing that artwork with people because what I really wanted people to see is that their own worlds were also subjective and, you know, and also to have them maybe relieve and question how they put together their own vision of the world. Um, and I ended up um, doing that work for a number of years, about six or seven years. And I was, I had my first retrospective and I was surrounded by all this years of collage um, mixed media painting. And all of a sudden I was struck with this horrible realization that my work needed to move, that, that I was trying to visualize thought in a static medium. And what I really needed was I needed motion, I needed time and I needed layering. And what was really frightening to me at that time is um, I had never done video work before, um, never done motion graphics. And I realized that I was going to have to be a beginner again. And uh, so I started taking night classes at uh, the Columbus um, College of, um, not Columbus College of Art and Design, but actually um, Columbus State. And their program was wonderful. I took night classes and went from being a straight beginner and gradually becoming more proficient. And then took a workshop with John Carnes at CCAD in um, projection mapping. Um, and that really opened my eyes that, you know, cause I didn't really know what I was gonna do with this, you know, this component of, of movement and time. But the whole idea of projection mapping where you could take this image and then superimpose it on a surface in the real world. I love the idea that we're breaking down the barriers, again, between trying to visualize thought, putting it in the real world, and then actually literally knocking down surfaces. And really kind of to communicate to people that, you know, there is more to the world than what we see. So that became really exciting to me. Um, I started uh, exhibiting uh, moving image art and then started playing with the idea of going back to school to CCAD. Actually applied to um, six different schools. And um, since I'm from Los Angeles, part of me had always had this thought that I was gonna move back. And so I kind of left it up to fate. Um, I applied to uh, three schools in California, two in Ohio, and um, one uh, in, uh, in Pittsburgh. And um, so I got accepted at two, and the one that really felt right was CCAD, because what I loved about it was you could create the program to be exactly what you needed it to be. And um, so I, I just graduated in May, and uh, we had a fabulous virtual graduation. Um, CCAD did a great job with, um, you know, kind of helping to, you know, create lemonade out of very much, uh, you know, the lemon you know, circumstance of the pandemic. So um, anyway, so I graduated in May and um, have been continuing to evolve and make new work. I mean, that's a great, that's a great story. There's a lot there to unpack. And I, I think the overall message and theme though is, is one that I care very much about. And it's something that I've had to do myself is, is kind of you, being a creator. I use the term artist, but I'm very much one of those, like in a film world, like film versus video versus blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, if it moves, it moves. If it moves you, it moves you. I mean, that's what should matter. Um, and if you are a creative person, if you have that drive to be creative, like you, you know, you find your life always trying to push you in that direction one way or another. And you constantly have to ask yourself questions. I mean, most people don't see like I grew up actually as a musician. I was I was a soprano soloist until I was 15 years old. Wow. Listen to my voice now, you would not think that I was I was like the lead soprano soloist on the end of the choir in like the first year of high school kind of thing. And that, you know, that that kind of, you know, changed a lot because now my voice is much deeper uh, and I learned to play several instruments and at one point in my in my college years, I had had a work-related injury with my hands, and and I just realized that with the damage to the tendons in my arms, I wasn't, art was a problem. I was in the fine arts program, um, and I had to choose. Am I a musician, or am I, or am I creating? Am I an artist in these more visual mediums? And I decided that, you know, I want to 
I will always sing. I will always do music. I will always write poetry, which is something I do. Um, I will always find ways to bring those back easily because they're just inherently part of me for the majority of my life. The art is something I have to work at that like I have to try to make art. Mm-hmm. So I chose art. I want to make, I want to create things and if music and writing and stuff end up being a part of it, great. But like you make that choice and, and I've had to do this several times now <laughs> for various other reasons. So I completely understand like you have to make these choices you have to ask these questions like suddenly you decided your art needed to move what do I got to do to do that you you answer the questions for yourself and figure out do I need training do I need classes do I need to find a mentor what what needs to happen and that's part of growing as a creative anybody out there that's watching you know if you're looking for you know some insight you know from some people been trying to do this for a little while sometimes you don't have the answers sometimes you have the question (laughs) and sometimes you don't even have the question (laughs) sometimes you have the kernel of what you think the question might be and then you ask the question the person's like i think you're actually asking this (laughs) Mm -hmm. and here's the answer (laughs) so like you know it's definitely a journey Mm -hmm. that you go on to be a creative i think and your story really illustrates illustrates that well Mm -hmm. um so within all that um, what, uh, you know, the next thing I wanted to kind of talk about is, you know, with the kind of work that you make, what, what inspires you? Like what other artists, what other kinds of works do you look at? You know, wh- where do you bring your inspiration from? Um, that, that's a, a good question. Um, you know, the artists that have influenced me, um, over time have changed, you know, depending on how, you know, my focus, my medium has changed. Um, I remember when I was first doing um, mixed media collage painting, um, I saw an exhibit where um, Mark Bradford had this amazing exhibit. Um, He was one of three artists at the Wexner Center. And I remember it was so validating, actually. Uh, When I saw his work, it actually felt familiar to me because what he had done is he had grabbed, you know, snippets of the real world and he created these universes that were, you know, massive scale, you know, so that it really did play with the idea of being small and large. And I was really impressed by his work. And then um, about a year later, um, Pipilotti Reist, uh, had an installation at the Wexner Center, um, and it was called the Tender Room, and it was amazing. I went back three times, and what was really beautiful about it is um, she had these giant screens that you know came down from the ceiling, and there were places for people to sit and experience in between the screens. And her video was was so lush and so colorful. It really did seem like a daydream. And um, what I loved was how she used uh, certain um, iconic images, um, you know, like the apple, you know, that could represent, you know, the tree of knowledge. And and also um, she had beautiful images of, of the female body and the female was the focus. And I, I, I wanted to understand was, you know, this a feminist statement with her or, you know, what was, you know, the focus on the woman. And what was interesting is when I read about her and this was so, you know, so obvious is that she wanted the woman in her pieces to represent all humanity. And what I love about it is, you know, growing up in still, you know, a society where when we think of a person, we often think of, you know, the male symbol and the fact that she would take the female form as a point of departure to represent all humanity, I thought was really beautiful. And it really made me question, you know, the role of my gender in my work. Um, Because for a long time, I've tried to almost be sort of gender neutral and realize, you know, that you really can't because from, you know, our earliest experience, you know, we're socialized with expectations, you know, to be a certain way. And um, so Pipilati Reist, um, and then uh, two summers ago, um, I discovered uh, Joan Jonas. Uh, When I was in uh, Europe at uh, the Tate Modern in London, um, she had a solo show 
And actually, I had never heard of her at that time. Um, my uh, wonderful cousin-in-law, Betsy Rosen, um, uh, met us in, in New York. Not in New York, I'm sorry. New York. She did meet us in New York, too, but also London. And I saw her work, and it was, again, it was like the same reaction I had to Mark Bradford. It was like I was seeing the familiar. Um, she was using a lot of um, similar metaphors as I was. Um, she was interested in masks. She was interested in, um, you know, light on, on, on different elements. She created stage sets. Um, her videos didn't occur just on screen. They were in a space. So it was kind of like seeing her work was work that I had sort of almost imagined, but not quite visualizing. And so that she was uh, a big influence and actually, Lori Anderson, um, she recently started doing um, virtual reality work. I'd been an admirer of her work for a long time. Um, I loved her storytelling um, ability. But what I found really interesting is when I started moving into VR, um, she, had, uh, she had a very organic take on what VR could be. And, and it's interesting is even though I use the computer as part of my work, um, I always, I'm always more drawn to the tangible, the tactile, the, you know, pieces of the real world, you know, things that people can imagine touching, you know, the illusion of surfaces. And what I loved about Lori Anderson's VR work is she really did create a world that was not cold and mechanical, but that felt, you know, human. And so she was actually very uh, inspiring to me as well. That's, that's interesting that you say that because I've done some 360 work as well and, and, and explored that technology. And that's what I'm very much drawn to, too, is like, yeah, you know, I could create these spaces within an animation um, and make them work in a 360 virtual reality, augmented reality environment. Um, but what I'm mostly drawn to is like, how can I take real world surfaces and experiment with those? through this medium. Um, and so that's something that I thoroughly enjoy about your work is that you, you find a way to sometimes either just focus on real world spaces or real world surfaces and, and implement them or combine them then with some digitally created media that then layers with it in this space. Um, and a plus is that a lot of your work can do go between the barriers of the the kind of three-dimensional virtual reality space, but then also can just be enjoyed as as a 2D image. Like it, and I think that is because of those real world surfaces. Mm -hmm. Those like the image you're watching right now, I know that the thing behind you, we can see that can be watched in wearing a virtual reality helmet or we can see it as it is right here and both of them have the same a similar conversation but also a different conversation like there's a there's a sharedness to the way that we we interact with them but then also um you get a different experience so i mean that's just a really cool thing so i mean really besides the artists like what really made you think like okay, virtual reality, 360 kind of stuff. What really drew you to that world? Well, it's funny because, um, you know, I think in life, um, you know, when you look back, all the dots, you know, connect and make a clear pattern. But, you know, at the time when you're living life, you're living it forward and you don't see it. And um, actually how I got into uh, uh, cinematic um, VR um, that's actually an interesting but cumbersome term, cinematic um, VR. It's uh, to it's uh, based on work that's you know taken um, with a camera from the real world and then interpreted. Versus, um, very often VR is more about art that's created you know from scratch, you know from the computer. Um, but anyway, how I discovered it was actually completely by accident, you know, as you know, some of the most wonderful things in my life has ha have happened is by accident. I went to a conference um, at COSI on Immersa because I, I was in my first uh, semester, actually just finished my first semester at CCAD. 
And I was envisioning um, a really huge venue for my moving image work. I didn't know what it was going to be. I didn't know if it was going to be performance or whatever. But I had this, this fantasy that it could be at COSI. So that you'd have all these people and you'd have this shared immersive experience where you could really bring the sense of many people together sharing an immersive experience. And um, so I went to this conference. It was uh, uh, from this organization called Immersa, which is all about uh, full dome video, a lot of planetariums and some artists uh, different science centers all over the world went to this conference and um, I got in at a discount because I volunteered to take video of um, people socializing and um, it absolutely blew me away the artwork that I saw and and one particular agency really attracted my attention they actually did a narrative in 360 um, and how they controlled the vision was really interesting. They would have like a scene and then you'd have another scene here, but there was a lot of space. So it really felt like you were part of a group that was all remembering the same thing together. It was very, very profound. And um, afterwards I went and I talked to the, the two creatives who had created this experience. And what they had talked about in one of their artist talk was creating a golden master. And they used a 360 camera and they shot, you know, the footage. And then from the 360 master, they could create lots of different embodiments. They could create, um, you know, a experience that you'd watch in a virtual reality headset. They could create a full dome experience, immersive, or they could, you know, create a standard, you know, video and I love that idea. And so from there, I instantly went and bought a 360 camera um, just to see, because actually I intended on doing um, video for Full Dome. And in that process, I actually fell in love with the experience of, of putting on a VR, um, experiencing in, in a VR headset, because what happens is when you put on a VR headset, you lose the sense of your own body completely. And what you are is when you put on that headset, it's as if you're literally in the mind of somebody else and seeing differently. And that has been my dream ever since I first started doing art. You know, could I create a world that was so believable that people could step in it and literally feel like they were looking through someone else's eyes. And it was at that point, I decided I would focus on um, the VR experience and the headset. And uh, it was really interesting learning um, how to do it and what I wanted to say and about you know camera position and movement. Because the thing that's interesting about 360 video is it has no frame. The person that's watching the experiences, they can't see everything at once. They have to choose their own view all the time. So what happens is it makes the experience uniquely the viewers. And even if they see it twice and look in different places, it's different. Um, so you have to have you know, a different attitude about creating these spaces that gives people room to look around in. Um, and also, uh, how camera movement works, camera position. Um, one of my favorite, um, you know, fairy tale, or I don't know, fairy tales, but children's literature was Alice in Wonderland. And what I loved about it was her dramatic scale change. And one of the things that I really love doing with the 360 camera is with camera placement, literally making a viewer feel as if they're six inches tall. And then by different camera placement, having them feel like they're nine feet tall. So it really kind of brings up that whole idea that, you know, every time we are in a different physical place, we have a different point of view and that none of them is really the whole truth. They're just fragments of it and that we create a different truth in our heads. And that's, that's really that's that whole idea of like multiple perspectives that none of them are really true mm -hmm. that, that you're seeing them. I mean, that's, that's like the basis of the majority of my artwork is, 
as well. Like the geo, the sacred geometric stuff that I do comes out of a lot of Asian stuff and a lot of, and a, all, and a lot of early cultural, almost folk art, quill work, other kinds of stuff like that. And exploring those shapes that are created that are literally from the sky down, but then these repetitive things as if you're seeing a space in multiple times in mm-hmm. m- multiple places, multiple angles, but layered in a way that then they create these geometric patterns that can be very beautiful. And so the, the and it, it creates this idea that like, like our own perspective is never the, the truth. It, right. it, it's the combination of everyone's perspective that even gets, even gets close to what anything we could define as true might be. Right. It's like if you could possibly put enough people in a space and get all of their perspectives together, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. could it could it be the truth? Right. And it 360 virtuality is definitely a way to explore that more. Um, it, it, it's, it's amazing because what happens with 360 also is you are able to capture reality in such a unique way. Um, sometimes when I take the 360 camera in a crowd, um, and it's actually very small, and um, most people don't recognize it as a camera. So I get people acting very naturally, which is really interesting. But when I look back at the 360 video and I'm, I'm editing, there is so much going on that I miss. And this whole idea that you could capture this moment in this incredible way and then store it and be able to pull it apart later um, is, is pretty, is pretty interesting. It, it is. And, um, and, and actually that's one of the things that led me to my thesis project, which is um, I created actually a uh, 360 um, video um, installation where there would be three different, what I call uh, VR poems that people would experience so that you'd have this idea that you were looking through a different set of eyes for each of the three. And there were connecting motifs in all of these so that you, hopefully, if you did see all three, you would have a sense of of something that was much greater than any of the parts. And and it was interesting about my my thesis show, uh, Intangible Windows, is um, I was very excited about it, and then COVID hit, and um, and at first, you know, no one knew it was going to be quite as dramatic as as it, it turned out to be. And um, one of my instructors, um, Mike Olnick, he started saying, you know, people may not be willing to put on a VR headset in a public situation, and and I thought he was, you know, overreacting, whatever. And um, and and what happened was, is he he was exactly right. And so uh, I ended up, you know, finishing my thesis work um, and documenting it. But then um, from here, you know, because of COVID, really looking at how um, going back to the creatives that I really admired that I met at Immersa, how I could look at these VR poems and think of them as the golden master, that I had this content, you know, with these metaphors, and how could I, you know, move it into different forms in different ways. And so I've looked at how I can um, create the images to be a full surround projection installation. Um, So that's one of the modifications I've been creating. I've also been looking at taking the video and creating shorter 30-second animations that are augmented reality. And augmented reality is something that um, I actually, um, I, a show has just ended at the Terra Gallery where um, I was invited to have uh, several augmented reality pieces. And what was wonderful is that, you know, everybody came to the gallery and, and with social distancing and everyone wore masks, But the thing that was really exciting is that everyone could use their own um, phones or um, iPads so that they could use those to interact with the real world. And that way it didn't invade anybody's personal space, but they still got this idea of this magic, you know, that there is an unseen reality that you can see. And um, so that's one of the things that, um, you know, I've been I've been doing. Um, 
I've also been looking at doing more collaborations with uh, poets and musicians. Um, I just finished a piece that um, was just actually just finished um, being shown at the last uh, uh, Columbus Moving Image Art Review screening, which I was excited about. And um, I'm actually creating a, a slightly um, political piece um, for a uh, Get Out the Vote um, uh, uh, event that's uh, going to have shorts uh, in October. So that's kind of fun. Awesome. Yeah. So that kind of takes me to, you know, another question is, you know, uh, what kind of work have you been making, you know, under, you know, under this time, right? Because you're, you're talking about how, you know, putting on a face mask might be difficult. I mean, mm -hmm. I guess there's a way you could get around it with the augmented reality, right? You could have a photo up on the wall still, and mm -hmm. then you could make it everyone know that with a sign that says, hey, you can use your own phone. Here's a QR mm -hmm. code for the app. And you could have disposable, like the Google Cardboard headset that you could slide your phone into, and then you could you could go and like your phone might see the the cute the the augmented reality piece, and then a three sixty virtual reality piece would 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 take effect in their goggles. I don't know. Uh, and then at least then it's their own phone, their own headset. We were talking right. about this before. There's ways to make sure that, you know, they're using their own devices, they can keep it clean themselves. And then they could keep the Google Cardboard because those are pretty cheap uh, to come by. Right. Um, you know, that's a gallery expense, of course, but, you know, what are you going to do? So, I mean, so what you said, these poetry pieces, is there anything else that you've been exploring at this time? Um, yes. Well, um, first of all, I have to say another thing that I was so excited about. Um, um, my mentor from CCAD, um, Rue Wagner, um, she told me about this uh, international um, uh, art and technology film festival in Poland. And my thesis work, actually all three um, poems were accepted into um, my first international film festival. And, yay! I know, I know, I was so excited. And um, it's going to be October 23rd and 25th. And uh, Rue and I are uh, both representing the United States and um, it's really exciting. So in spite of, you know, trying to make lemonade with COVID, um, you know, I'm, I'm also looking at other venues for my uh, 360 work. Um, because also people are at home, I think people are really craving um, being able to be somewhere else. And there is nothing like putting on a VR headset or using a Google Cardboard and having the sense that you're really somewhere else, especially when so many of us can't be anywhere else. Um, and actually that whole idea is leading to a new body of work that I'm creating. I either call it um, NOT HERE, all caps, or SOMEWHERE ELSE, all lowercase. And, um, and it, the idea is, is to take uh, individual people's footprints and to be able through augmented reality, have you be able to look through your phone or iPad and then each set of footprints would go to another place in another world. And I would use a unique individual's footprints um, for each of that being the catalyst um, I'm looking at the idea of actually doing it as a sculpture, um, using a child's uh, building fort kit and making a big sphere where I'd have about 12 different panels where they could be two-sided and you might have a different animation experience based on each side. And the message from that for me is it's like, even though you know we're all unique and separate, you know, all of us have in common that we're held on this earth by gravity through our feet and our feet. And it's interesting. Um, I've been doing footprints of, you know, different people and the texture on people's feet is just as unique as a fingerprint. And it's absolutely beautiful. So um, that's a project I'm working on right now. Um, I mean, you, uh, to just stop you there for a second about the feet thing. I mean, so I had that solo show at Fresh Air Gallery, mm -hmm. um, you know, a few years ago uh, and had several of my print works from my stills and I have a whole series of pathways and all of those are of feet. And so, 
I think the piece that, that you you and David ended up having is it's actually it's an image. My feet are in that. <laughs> I think it's five fingered like Vibram toe shoes. And so like you're right. I mean, when I make these pieces of feet, like I choose the pants I wear, I choose the shoes I wear, the socks, knowing the terrain that I'm going to be on, because all of that makes you're basically creating color composition and shape and form based on the clothing choices you make. Um, and if, especially, you know, bare feet, there's a lot of differences in people's feet. Someone has big toes, small toes, long feet, skinny feet, wider feet. Like mm-hmm. our feet are drastically different. It's, we don't think about it because we have a one size fits all shoe thing just based on length. Um Right. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's fascinating to think about. There's several artists who have focused on that idea of like looking at the feet traveling through space. So um, it's it's definitely interesting. Well, it's so funny because um, actually um, I had, I've been, another thing we have in common, Matt, is um, I, I had been obsessed by trying to create video of feet from under you know, from below. Oh, and yeah. so I've been, I, I've been looking for years for the right glass floor that I could um, video from underneath. And um, I was in New York um, with my husband and we were seeing the, um, um, the, oh my God, I'm totally blanking on this person's name. Anyway, um, it was an amazing exhibit. And we took a break and we went downstairs at the Brooklyn Museum of Art and I looked up and there was this pathway that was frosted glass and you could see people walking up and down. And because of the frosted glass, the feet were in real, the footprint was in strong relief and then the rest of their body moved into blur. And I went, oh my gosh. And so I took it, you know, I didn't have my regular video camera with. I just had my iPhone. And so I kept on shooting video up and just holding as still as I could. And then I had my um, my husband, David Ryan, you know, hold. The, uh, and then I went upstairs and I took off my shoes um, because what I really wanted is to capture some video of, you know, the... Yes, the bare feet of the individual versus the the clothed or shoed feet. You know, that whole sort of alone in a crowd kind of feeling, Mm -hmm. which all of us really are on some level. And and that footage has become um, a big part in one of actually my DJ performances. And I think that, um, you know, actually my my husband's saying, the David Bowie show, yes, actually... um, so it, it's so funny because like if you let yourself be drawn to certain things and you don't exactly know why you're drawn to them, it doesn't even matter. And then again, you'll notice that, you know, that all these different influences will, you know, create this amazing pattern. And um, so actually um, one of my uh, jazz pieces that I, I uh, was, I did a performance collaboration at the Fuse Factory with um, a jazz experimental jazz trio. And um, I used the feet um, in that um, and it was really fun, so. Yeah, I mean, the feet thing is crazy. We've been wanting to do that for a long time too, is find some kind of glass structure or make one, make something that has enough rigidity to hold weight. Mm -hmm. I mean, I might, we might be able to find a place that can do thick enough plexi that I could get Nikki to walk across. Um, but you know, I'm at like 250. So uh <laughs> finding 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 a glass like some kind of glass wall or floor that I could just set up for like a little bit of space. I mean, you'd have to like shoot a bit, move it, shoot a bit, move it, mm-hmm. and that would even be tough with somebody of my size. So I don't know, it it's definitely something to something we've been interested for a long time we actually on campus everybody knows osu campus and some other campuses they always have like people throw stuff out Mm -hmm. and somebody threw out a glass a glass table Mm -hmm. and um we went and grabbed the glass and stuck it in our garage immediately um it eventually broke but (laughs) like before we could do anything with it but like we 
we really i think we did do some shoot one thing through it but it was like having a huge like you know two and a half foot by five foot just sheet of glass Mm -hmm. like you know it's hard to store it they're heavy glass is very heavy Mm -hmm. um people would be surprised um and but man you could do a lot of really fun a lot of really fun stuff that we don't even think about. It's changing the perspective of the way that you look at things. Um, I mean, that's some of the, like everybody always talks about the fun shots and things like breaking bad where they're like dumping stuff into a washing machine and the cameras there. Like that's all Mm -hmm. done through glass where Mm -hmm. it's basically like you, the camera is the floor. How often is the camera the floor? Exactly. And and it like I almost think of it, it's the earth's view of people. And it's, it's exactly the opposite. Um, um, and actually, uh, I, I bought a glass top uh, coffee table to um, to try to create uh, collages and then shoot them underneath. Um, one of the things that I have used a lot is a Xerox camera. Um, not a Xerox camera. I use the Xerox machine as a camera mm-hmm. by putting um, objects, both three-dimensional objects and 2D images on top of the Xerox bed mm-hmm. and then move them. So it creates that feeling of distortion that I almost think you know happens in your mind of when you see something sharp, but then there's distortion. And so I thought it would be really awesome to be able to do that, but to do it in video. So I bought this great um, glass uh, top coffee table and and that's um, waiting for me. You know, I, I have, there's so many things I'm interested in. Um, and um, so I, I'm looking forward to doing that too, um, to have things that defy gravity. One of the things that I've been doing to help give me that feeling of freedom from gravity is I've been shooting a lot of footage underwater. And um, my 360 camera has an underwater housing. And um, so I've been shooting, um, you know, people, objects, um, different things underwater to be able to try to capture that kind of dream-like thing. Again, I'm trying to take snippets of things that people really believe exist and then just augment it, you know, through digital painting. You know, again, have that whole feeling like, you know, this, this space is real, but um, nothing like I've ever seen in the real world. It's only seen through, you know, an inner world, but um, visualized externally. So. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the fun of it, right? Is taking and creating a new world out of the world that exists in a way. I mean, we have several projects, like we've shot through fish tanks um, where we've like taken fish tanks and filled them with water and put cameras in them or, or shot into the tank while we're having stuff going through the water so that we get that freedom of weight um, that exists. Um, Nikki currently has a place that she's working on that, um, that incorporates like a glass house. Um, So like that, just the idea of being able to suspend things in a weight or see through things in a way that you wouldn't be able to see through them otherwise, but still in a recognizable shape or form right it's just it's a very fun thing to to explore so um i mean i think you covered a little bit the the fact that you have a few things coming up but we're we're getting close to time here and so like so do you have so you have the festival thing coming up um in october Mm -hmm. uh, and then you just had a show come down do you have any other things that you've been submitting to that you think might be coming up on the horizon um um I'm focusing a little bit more on Europe right now. Um, I've found that, um, especially for things like, you know, VJ performances and um, 360 video, um, that especially um, Germany, Poland, the Netherlands uh, Mm -hmm. seems to be a really good environment. So there's a couple call for entries that I'm looking at for there, for that. Um, uh, There is going to be this... uh, this uh, voter registration event with film shorts, and that's going to be at the Vanderelli room. Um, We don't have all the details narrowed down quite yet, but I'm actually really excited about that. Um, Especially because I think 
you know, looking at the world differently through different worldviews. You know, I think our political climate, you know, being so divided about how we see the world, that there's a lot of creative opportunities and being able to challenge that. Um, one of the ideas that I had was, you know, with 3D glasses, how one lens is red and one is blue, but then together you see 3D. And I kind of feel like, you know, the same things happening now in our political climate is that you can look through a lens, you know, of a red view or a blue view, and you don't see the whole. And I love that idea that, you know, to take that metaphor of the 3D glasses that you could mm -hmm. see wholly and really, you know, look at, you know, helping to overcome division or at least accepting that another point of view is also valid, you know, versus, you know, rejecting it. So let me give you a little bit more on that. That's, that's, I don't know if we talk about this. So after my concussion with the, with my scooter accident, my, my right eye, actually the muscle spasmed and like moved my eye over and up. And so mm -hmm. I was slightly, my eye was off and mm -hmm. I had to do nine months of ocular therapy, um, ah. so basically like lifting weights with my eyes to try to get them to come back and work together. And 3d was part mm -hmm. of that. So I have a set of 3D glasses mm -hmm. and I have these uh, 3D uh, drawings that there's two of them, one mm -hmm. in blue, one in red, and they're, they're identical and you start with them together. So it's just one image, right? And you wear the 3D glasses and you pull them apart. And as you pull them apart in one direction, to your brain try you have to use your eyes and your brain together to try to keep the image together even though they're being torn apart mm -hmm. um, and what that does is it makes you cross your eyes mm -hmm. and then if you push them the other direction it makes you uncross your eyes which is the really hard thing to do which is the thing i had to work on was trying to make your eyes cross out mm. like uncross the other way um and man it's it it gives you headaches so imagine like the metaphor of that, like the headaches that we all have because right. we're looking out on a world where we all have, it's the same world. Right. But we're all seeing it from different. Like this. Like, yes. And it's being pulled apart. Like this image here. So hard. Right. And, and that's, that's one of the things that I really loved about this whole idea of um, the installation, you know, being able to, have an experience where you really are looking at the world through the different views, you know, to be able to create, um, you know, I hate to say, it, this sounds so, uh, I don't know, idealistic, but, you know, I really do think that a lot of these technologies, um, especially now with COVID, I think a lot of people are really needing to embrace um, technology to create connection, you know, because we're so separated. And I just think that, you know, a lot of these, these technologies really have the opportunity to help overcome um, some of the limitations that people have had in, and really, you know, helping them realize that, you know, they do put together their own reality and knowing that they put it together themselves, that they have the option of making different choices and being able to change the way they see the world, which, you know, gives them more choices and uh, an opportunity to um, make improvements in their life and connect more with others. So. Very well said. Very well said. I think that's, that feels like a really good, good place to stop it's like <laughs> you know the technology is here uh, i think it's here to stay and it's going to grow i just heard today about ibm creating like a whole new platform of things for for education mm -hmm. um that they're driving forward i mean things the our ability to connect through technology is not going anywhere it's going to develop more and more and we've been pushed to the forefront of it with mm -hmm. this current time and so if we can find ways to use it for positivity yes. as opposed to negativity, then that's the real, that's the crux at this point. Can we, can we not focus so much on negative all the time? What are the problems in the world? What are the problems in the world? 100% of the time, the problems are paramount. We have problems. They're important. We have to deal with them. Right. But let's find a place for positivity. 
where are the good stories? Where are the people who are doing good things for good people in the communities? Where are people who are using technology to, to, to help in places where help was is desperately needed, right? Um, let's yeah. make a space for those. Well, I totally agree. And, you know, it, it's funny. One of the things that, um, you know, I, I have a complicated given name, Christine Gio Ryan. And um, after a, uh, a venue owner was trying to introduce me and she couldn't pronounce my maiden name, which is Gio, um, I finally just yelled from the back, just C.G. Ryan and, you know, simplify. And what I really want C.G. to stand for and C.G. Ryan is create good. That's great. It's been great talking to you, C.G. Like, you know, it's been a while since we've been able to see each other, but you're a member of Ohio Art League and we and we work with Ohio Art League. We're on the board there. So we've been able to see each other a few times virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for everybody watching, Ohio Art League is slated to try to participate in Art Tells a Story coming up here soon. Well, information will come out about that. So um, I will not be hosting those. So um, I just want to thank you for coming out and thank you for putting together your visuals in the background so we have something lovely to look at. Um, <laughs> selfless promotion. Everybody's been watching. This is my installation down at the Hilton, the Hilton Canopy uh, awesome. down on Nationwide Boulevard. People could go there. They are open certain hours. Uh, if you go in the back into the like entryway under the drive through um, you can go in and see it. So, um, but so are you planning to submit to the next CMAR? Do you have something ready? Ab- absolutely. And yes, I do. And I, I, I can hardly wait to share it with you. Um, awesome. and I just want to also thank you and Nikki so much for the Columbus moving image art review. I think it is so important to the Columbus community the fact that it's so inclusive and it offers, you know, a, a forum and an audience and a venue. Um, and it also is one of the things that helps keep me creating, you know, knowing that, you know, I want to have something new um, at least uh, every three months. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome. And, and we'll see what the future of this event is going to look like because because um, our, our feature film that we've been working on for a while, those who spring of me, uh, it's done. Nikki has finished editing it. We did our first test screening for the screenwriter last week. We're going to do another test screening with a few new edits this Friday. And to do that, we had to kind of bite the bullet and figure out what to do. And so we bought an inflatable 20 foot screen. Oh my gosh. An FM transponder so that now we can all just sit in our cars and watch the films <laughs> from our cars like a drive in and listen to the audio through our stereos. So we're probably going to do the next CMR online. We'll see, we'll see what happens over the winter months, but you know, fingers crossed, maybe we'll find a space where we can do a drive-in style Columbus moving image art review. That would be super sweet. I, I, I love that idea. Um, I can hardly wait. Yeah. Yeah. So, so excited. So thank you very much again. Uh, I just want to let everybody know this is every Thursday at 4.30. Uh, Art tells a story. Let it tell yours. Uh, we're getting out there. I mean, this is Nikki has put together over 30 episodes at this point. Uh, you can find the show here on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, you can now w- listen to it as a podcast. It's out on Anchor. Uh, it's been picked up. Uh, you can listen to it on Spotify. Um, you even, I believe if you even ask your Alexa – for art tells a story, it'll find it for you. So uh, you can find it out there. You know, um, if you're watching, if you're part of an arts organization that has not been featured yet, you can go back and look. Uh, contact your arts organizations. Tell them about the show and let them know to reach out to us. You can find us pretty easy, Nicholas Cinemagraphics, Reese Brothers Productions, and let them know. You might be interested. Uh, we're going to try to, I think they're trying to keep this going for as long as they can. Uh, we may end up taking a break and doing another season or something like that. We don't know yet what the future of the show is going to look like. I just have insider information because I'm the partner of the of the produ- the production team. So, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you know, keep keep sharing it out. Uh, the more this can grow, the more artists in Columbus we can try to celebrate. The more organizations we can try to celebrate and kind of give them a voice and a place to be heard at this time. Um, I'm just next week. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. 
Um, I hope it all pans out. I'm going to be talking to two students, uh, two former stu students, former students, alumni, CCAD and Ohio State um, that are roommates, that, that they both create, have created separate work. They've created work together. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, Janelle Mormon and Shea Garnes. So um, it all, all works out. It's, there's a scheduling. We're hoping everything works out. Uh, we've got both and we get both of them on the show. Uh, so um, that's going to be very exciting. I'm looking forward to that conversation. So uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. Um, I think the music's going to play us out. So thanks very much. Thank you. And thank you, Reese Brothers. <laughs>